praise God. Let's do it a little more. Let's celebrate Jesus. Please, you may have your seat. It's good to be here again tonight. And um, I'm looking forward to a good time. But maybe I'm a bit emotional because... Um, this is this is actually something extremely serious that we're discussing and I feel I have a tendency to also be a bit jovial about it which I'm trying to control so that I can you know, communicate the seriousness uh, that should come with this, and I'm not, I'm not kidding you in any way. Um, I love to be very, you know, vivacious and all that when I speak, but I don't know. For tonight, I just, I just, you know, want to con- communicate some bit of seriousness with what we're discussing, especially after listening to, you know, Ran, that TED Talk. The fact that the full gamut of uh, coming in control of your sexual desires and cutting off all those, um, um, I don't know what word to use for them, but all the things that get you out of control has serious implications beyond just being youthful or being single, you know, because a lot of things have been bastardized, including the definition of what it means to be single unhappy. Um, so many movies out there that are trying to redefine what it means to be single. Some people think what it actually means to be single is that it's when you're sexually active. That's why you are a real single. That is, you know, that is happening as it were. But there's a lot more to it. And the devil is just trying to overtly and covertly uh, break our minds down with all those sexual innuendos. About this time now, if you're flipping through TV from like 7 p.m. to like midnight, there's no way you won't engage something that is very close to soft porn in, on any channel. And that's, you know, thinking about that driving here, I was just thinking to myself, I hope my sister-in-law and the nanny are doing a good job because my girls are at home right now. And, um, in my head, I'm wondering if they straight to the TV now, what would they be watching? I've done my part in the sense that in my home, at least for now, all the stations, anything above family that's rated above family is completely scrapped. It's only my wife and I that know the code to any other thing that is rated above family. I don't care whether you call it 13 or my first daughter is just going to be 12 anyway, so... <laughs> Just completely cut off. And during the week, my girls don't watch TV. It's only a weekend. Yeah. When we started, it took us about two to three weeks of crying and whining. This was about five years ago. My first daughter was about seven or eight. Yeah, no. That's five years ago, yeah. My first daughter was just about seven, maybe four years ago. When we said... No TV during the week. You only watch TV weekend only. You come back from school, 
you do your homework. One of the things I found out that all the nonsense that we do sexually, we do them, especially when we don't really mean to do them and we're serious-minded, we do them most when we're jobless or when we don't have any serious things engaging our mind. You can't be masturbating except you have become seriously addicted when you have the most serious presentation at work tomorrow. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. You forget about it. You focus on that work, and you want to do it very well. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. You won't have time for sexually explicit stuff when there's something very serious on your mind. Sometimes I go almost one full week without even seeing TV at all because of the kind of schedule I keep. Not because I don't want to watch TV. In fact, I remember that, oh, there's a program I'm supposed to watch, but you have to choose between the program and doing your work. <laughs> That's why sometimes one full week, I just, I'm not watching TV this week. Then I try to watch, you know, CNN or Channel's News at 10. If you ask my wife, what's your, what's your husband's best program on TV? She will say Channel's News at 10. <laughs> it is deliberate. Uh, not just because I'm a man of God, but I want to be a responsible man. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. A responsible man, first and foremost. A responsible lady, first and foremost. It's not just about being a Christian. That guy, perhaps, is not a born-again Christian. But you heard what he said. I want to take responsibility for my sexual desires. So the topic of handling sexual temptation or managing sexual temptation is premised on taking responsibility for your sexual desires. Yeah. First and foremost, before we talk about what does the Bible have to say and what are the words of Jesus about lust and about sexual temptation. If you can't carry it that way, if you can't pick it up from that point, you're going to find yourself struggling a bit. Thinking, you know, like some of us say, was God really thinking about us when the Bible was written? Is it a killjoy God who doesn't want us to enjoy ourselves at all? But when you push all that, side, all that aside and start from the point of view of the fact that our sexual desires, they are like, you know, little lions. That it's when you feed them they become full-grown, highly empowered entities that can actually drown you or knock you down. I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. That's where it starts from. It's what you feed that grows. What you refuse to feed will inevitably either die or at least almost irrelevant. Become almost. Are you getting what I'm saying today? So when you start from that point of view of, I don't want anything to be extremely overbearing for, for me in my life. I want to be in control of my destiny as much as possible. When you have that straightened out, I think it then makes sense to then also remember that I'm also a believer, I'm a Christian, and there's something that's expected of me. There's a mindset, a worldview that is expected of a Christian when it comes to certain aspects of life. And our sexuality is a major aspect of our life. So there's a worldview 
that is that is that Christians should embrace as regards managing my sexuality. James chapter 1, verse 10, when you read down to, let me read from verse 12 to 15 from message translation. Anyone who meets a testing challenge ahead, I mean head on, and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons, loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. Somebody say life and more life. Let's say it again. Say life and more life. Look at verse, verse, um, give me the next verse, 13. Don't let anyone under pressure, under pressure to give in to devil, say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own flesh. Verse 15, the last one. Lost gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. This is where I'm going. Look at, look, look at how message translation put this. It said, lost gets pregnant, then has a baby. When he delivers, the name of the baby is sin. Sin, ladies and gentlemen, is not essentially the act. Look at it as a noun, not a verb. This verse renders sin as a noun, not a verb. Lost gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. That's exactly what happens when I mismanage my sexuality. I engage in lust and I create the environment for lust to get pregnant or to, to, to be fertilized, let me put it that way, to become something that is growing. When a woman gets pregnant, it means something else is growing in that woman. I would say together, there's another entity that is growing. So they're sharing nutrients and sharing life. And the baby is becoming bigger until the baby comes to full term. And then it's delivered. So you can imagine the day is delivered and fed over a period of time. It becomes a killer. That's what happens when we choose to mismanage our sexuality. That's what happens when we choose to mismanage our sexuality. Um, I've taught this before, the four Ds of temptation. It starts with desire. What happens, sorry, tonight I I didn't come with a slide. Um, uh, Let me confess, I'm just very busy and I couldn't make out that for you. I apologize. Next time I'm here, I will make my presentation more graphic. Four Ds of temptation. One is desire. 
Satan identifies a desire inside you. It is called lust. It may be sinful, like revenge, control. In this case, it's an inordinate desire. You know, it may be legitimate, as in normal desire, maybe desire to be loved, valued, or feel pleasure. And this is the one, these are the ones that put us into trouble. You see, the desire for the, the sexual temptation and lust, actually for, especially for serious-minded people, if you are not on drugs, you don't smoke ganja, you are not trying, you know, any of those um, very hard stuff or even, you know, meds and all those funny things that young people do in America. If you're not on that, then you're, you're, where sexual temptation comes from is legitimate desires. Not illegitimate. That's what I'm saying. Except you are high, you don't care. When you are high, <laughs> you don't care. But if you're a normal person, then sexual temptation is real. And lust is real because you have legitimate desires to be loved, to be valued by someone. Are you still with me today? I said, are you still with me? Or the desire to feel pleasure. Those are legitimate desires. God will not break my head because I feel a desire to be pleasured. Or I feel a desire for somebody to show me love or to value me. But how do I interpret it correctly or give expression to it correctly or monitor that desire so that it doesn't put me into trouble? That's what we're talking about. Is somebody following me tonight? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. So we need to, first of all, understand that God is not the killer of joy. And he recognizes the fact that we have those desires. But we are in training into real, responsible adulthood. And part of our training is how we take responsibility for those desires. Are you still here? So temptation begins with us giving in to evil desires or meeting a legitimate desire in a wrong way or at a wrong time. Yeah. Either giving in to an evil desire or trying to meet a legitimate desire in a wrong way or at a wrong time. That's when we get into trouble with temptation. And also, you need to understand that temptations start in your mind and not in your circumstances. Yeah. Start first in your mind. Not in your side. See, for most people, most of us, virtually all of us who are Christians, God will give you a flash. Before you get yourself in a compromising situation, you've had the option in your mind to dimension that situation and what will be the outcome, what will be your response. It's when we either shut off our minds from it or we already fail in dimensioning it that we crumble when we get into that situation. I will say together, this room is too quiet for me. Okay, just tell me, Pastor, I'm following. I'm okay. I'm okay. I know it's some, it's some deep stuff, but I just need to be sure that you're following me. Uh, 
I need to, to move faster. So it is desire within that attracts and recognizes opportunity without. The desire within is what recognizes opportunity without. Jesus told his disciples that it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but it's what comes out of a man that defiles a man. In Mark chapter 7, uh, from verse 21, he said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder. Verse 22, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil high, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. It's what comes from our inside. The things, the permutations and combinations that we have put together, the thoughts and all that. And you see, when the prevailing thought is on your mind, it has a way of attracting circumstances for expression. That's why you, in, in managing your desires and in managing sexual temptation, what you allow to stay on your mind consistently is extremely important. If you win any battle on your mind, you have won it in real life. If you allow it to stay there, it will bring the occasion. It's like a magnet. It will magnetize the occasion. Are you still with me today? Very important. So we talk about desire. We talk about doubt. The moment the desire persists in your heart, the next thing the devil wants to do is to bring doubt into your heart. Satan introduces doubt to douse your conscience. And then you begin to question what God said about it. Is it really wrong? Didn't God mean this, you know, this way? God really wants me to be happy, you know, stuff like that. Shouldn't I be excused seeing that my condition is peculiar? Because I've tried to get into a relationship and I've not been able to and I still have a need to be pleasured or to feel loved. You know, sometimes, um, like Rand said, and like I wrote in my book, Sexuality Get a Grip, one of the reasons why, for instance, as a man or a woman, you want to pleasure yourself in masturbation and all that, um, or, or pornography, some of it has some psychological bent in the sense that if you, if you cannot muzzle real social interaction with the opposite sex, and you still want to feel a sense of, I am desired. You want to create a, a, a pseudo type of it. That's what brings us into all those kind of things. And a lot of the times, psychologists have said that most people who get themselves deeply into these things, if you check them out very well, they actually have a problem with accepting the fact that they are desired, they are loved, and they can, that the fact that they can pull it off. Because the moment you start creating opportunities to meet those needs outside of the real life human situations, it gives you a, a false sense of, I don't need the real life. I don't need to cultivate my social skills. I don't need to really, I mean, I'm meeting the need. Any need that is met, albeit illegitimately, reduces the motivation for the normal way to meet the need. Are you still with me? 
That's why if pornography escapes into, with mar into marriage with any man, the, the wife will suffer. Yeah. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. Because the woman gets, I mean, the man gets his own fix and leaves the woman out in the cold. And then he comes back from work and says, my back is paining me. Meanwhile, he has a plan that the woman will just go to bed and now you will go and masturbate somewhere. Sometimes I've seen married people who say that, look, all the you allow, you know, for you get a woman to be in the mood, and uh, I don't have time for that, you know. And they just engage in pornography, and they're getting fixed. But like, like I said, if you follow me on Twitter, I was saying this on Twitter last week, and I said it here also. Whatever problem you cannot solve before you get married, don't think marriage will solve it for you. Marriage may end up amplifying it. Somebody who is masturbating small, small before, watching small, small porn, you now get into marriage, you get real, you know, real rejection happens in marriage. Real one. Forget the rejection you are feeling now, single, is, is nothing compared to the one you are going to feel when you get married. I can tell you the truth. Where your spouse will look at you in the face and tell you, don't touch me. <laughs> this is the person you are legitimately married to. You know, when your girlfriend is saying, I don't want to commit fornication, please, not touch, don't touch me. It's bringing you up to speed with the word. But the one that you have license to do it, and then your spouse says, no, 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 no I'm not interested. You know, is it somebody like you that should be touching somebody like me? No, I, I mean, I'm a married counselor, so I hear all this. So when a spouse tells you that, it's the height of rejection. Anything you have in your arsenal to restore your self-esteem, whether it's pornography or you go and get everything. <laughs> so if you don't, if you still have those things in your arsenal, you bring them up. That's what I'm telling you, and you need to be careful with that. All the married people here will bear me witness. Yeah, you need to be careful. Those things must not be in your arsenal. That's the only way that when that kind of thing shows up in your marriage, the only place, just like the psalmist says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So you run to Jesus. You get the Holy Ghost to fix your heart. You, God restores your self-esteem. You go back and resolve the situation with your spouse. The moment something like that happens in marriage and you have not taken good care of yourself to be you know, a whole single person before you get married, you resort back into those habits. The situation gets protracted. After a while, you, you too don't care at all again because your needs have been met somewhere else and that's how the marriage will completely fracture from top to bottom and that's the end of it. And you know the funny thing, some of those things, people don't share them. You know what they call it? Irreconcilable differences. They will just tell you we have irreconcilable. Who will come and tell you that it's because my spouse is rejecting me sex and then I went back into and then, you know, from pornography and all that, you can then become a full-blown humanizer. And then you just realize that any time you, you think about your spouse, you, look, you think about them from the point of view of somebody who brings rejection to your life. And people ask you outside, he said, we don't just understand each other. It's really considerable difference, so we need to go our separate ways. Anytime anybody, any couple is, you know, going through separation and um, they're going through separation and they, you ask them, whether it's your uncle or your friend, or, and they say reconcilable differences, knowing your heart from what I'm saying tonight. 
I'm not saying this is their situation, but this real situation, they are not telling you. Yeah. I've been counseling couples now about 20 years. This particular, I mean, the, the real issue, they are not telling you. They are just telling you something to keep you away. Because there's really nothing like irreconcilable differences. Can I explain this to you? As a man, and she's a woman, we, before we marry, we, are irreconcil- we have irreconcilable differences. A man will never be a woman. A woman will never be a man. In spite of that, we're choosing to marry. And then we're not getting to marriage, and we'll now use that as an excuse for going apart. A man and a woman Forever, we have irreconcilable differences. We don't see issues the same way. Our lives don't even pan out the same way. Our issues are different. Have you seen a man that menstruates before? <laughs> he has mega problem. I hope you understand what I'm saying. We have different issues. Women don't have prostrate. So all this one is say, manage your prostrate when you are over 40. There's nothing like that. Have you seen a man with fibroid before? Our issues are different. That's what I'm saying. Our worldviews are different. The issues we deal with are different. Anytime you see a man in high heels, it's deranged. Yeah. But when a woman wears high heels and carries herself well, she's, she's flying in the spirit. As in her self-esteem is high. You understand what I'm so the issues we're dealing with are different. So how, how will you now say that we, have, we already have irreconcilable differences? have enough time tonight, but it is well. <laughs> um, so I t- spoke about um, desire, doubt, deception. The moment you engage doubt, to be, begin to say maybe uh, God will excuse me in this situation and all that, you get into deception. Satan is the father of lies, incapable of telling the truth. The moment you engage doubt, it will lead to deception. I'm talking about four days of temptation. Desire, doubt, deception. Deception. So things that will start coming to your mind is like you can get away with this. Like Satan told Eve. It's not going to be a problem. You can get away with it. No one will ever know. Things like it will solve your problem. Your problem of loneliness will be solved. Just as if it will be solved once and for all and forever. Those are the things the devil will bring into your mind. Or what's like everybody is doing it. The moment you start hearing everybody is doing it, you are entering into deception. Because not everybody is doing it. Yeah. So desire, doubt will set in. The moment you step into deception, you'll be hearing things like everybody is doing it. You'll be hearing things like it's just a white lie. You know, if it's the situation of lie. You'll be hearing things like to solve your problem of loneliness. You'll be hearing things like no one will ever know. And the Bible says the heights of the Lord runs to and fro the universe. Not just the earth, the universe. So whether if, even if you go to the moon or Mars or Pluto to do it, its heights run to and fro the universe. I wonder how big those heights are. And you, the devil will be telling you no, no, nobody will know anything about it. So deception is what leads to conception or pregnancy, like we read in James chapter 1 and uh, verse uh, 15. 
And the only way to abort this evil pregnancy is one, prayer, and two, accountability. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Yeah. Confess your, your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. That's why I said from James 5 16, you see the antidote for moving from, you know, past deception where there's already... Because after deception, the fourth D is disobedience. The moment there's deception, there will be conception. And when you conceive, it's either of two things. You are bought or you deliver. When you get into trouble with deception, and you can't turn to God to pray, and look for somebody to talk to, it's a a done situation. Yeah. The moment deception sets in, you start hearing something like, Everybody's doing it. Nobody will know about it. You know, the moment you start hearing such words, it's a signal that it's time to pray and it's time to talk to somebody. Yeah. In fact, I recommend that you should do the two. Pari You should do the two. I remember one time when I was um, pastoring at Daystar, I had all, I've had all kinds of experiences as a pastor. So I'm not... I'm not immune from temptation by any chance. Yeah, these eyes are still working. Yeah. And my mind is very, very fertile. Yeah, it's the same mind I used to meditate on scriptures and the Holy Ghost talks to me. If I allow the Holy Ghost to engage it, it's the same way, very skillful. Yeah, it can be manipulated so easily. Anytime you see anybody who can do anything well, any maneuver, any kind of skill, the devil can turn it around. If you see a sharp person, sharp at work, who does his job well, if the devil lay hands on that person, you will see a very sharp evil, evil person out of that person. I'm serious. I'm just trying to explain something to you so you understand. Because you can't be sharp except your mind can work well. And when the devil takes control of the human mind, he manipulates it to take evil to a new level. So what am I saying? I said I've had all kinds of situations and I remember one particular one the Holy Spirit brought to my mind right now and I think he just wants me to share it with you. And I'll say one or two more things. We'll go into question and answer. Well, I was pastoring with Daystar, um, I had, I mean, I've had all kinds of struggles in time past. I remember a few. One, maybe I'll, I'll share two. Some of them I've probably never even shared some, anywhere else before. Maybe sometimes I was talking to singles at the Elevation Church. I remember one experience. I just finished teaching at the Daystar Leadership Academy. And um, this lady walked up to me and said she wanted to see me. So I gave her an appointment. And then she came into my office. The moment she sat down and she started to talk, I don't know what made me just jack up to that realization, whether it was the Holy Spirit or it was just discernment, just the way she was talking or something. I just, like, heard in my spirit, this is not a counseling session. She wants you. 
So she said everything. She was going to start an NGO. She needed me to just help with it. And she needed advice on this and that. She was describing the NGO. And she was just moving round and round and round. And at a point, I don't know where the boldness came from. I just asked her, this is not really about this NGO. She said, yes. <laughs> she said, Pastor, I'm happy that you are, you, you are aware of this. It's good. So, so I said, what exactly do you want? You know, because I can't do it. See, at this point, I must confess to you, in my heart, this lady, she's very beautiful. And perhaps she saw me teaching at DLA, and in her mind, you know what she, she told me eventually? Because I allowed her to talk more and ask her questions. Where did this come from, you know? I just wanted to be sure that it wasn't a mental problem. <laughs> there was nothing mental about it. It was out of real desire. She said one was that I really look so much like a hex. We kind of have the same kind of figure, you know, and stuff like that. She started saying some things that I was just like, hey, you have entered this. In my mind, I was like, Holy Ghost, you just have to help me. Because as we talked more, I was liking her more. And I was trying to feel for her. You know I'm a pastor. <laughs> because I realized that this was not a mental case. This was somebody who had a desire. And she just, you know. So after all that plenty talk, at a point I started telling myself, the more you talk, the more you get into trouble. So I now told her, I said, look, you know what? I have so much at stake. See, when you can think about your future and you believe in your future, it will help you a great deal. I can still remember one of the things I told her that day. I said, do you know some of the things that are at stake for me? I said, in a few years' time, you're going to see me on TV. You will now tell people, we used to do it together. That guy, that preacher, that pastor that is preaching. As at which time, I was not on TV yet. I was just talking out of vision. Yeah. As at which time, I didn't even, there was no vision of the Elevation Church. I said, I still believe God is going to use me mightily. I have great vision. So this thing cannot be premised on meeting your need. And then my own future will be destroyed. I said, you are beautiful. And I actually like you too. But it's just that we can't do it. <laughs> so I tried to persuade her. To the point where I said, I hope you won't leave me with any other option than to call security. She said no. So I said, okay, so we will... We will still see again, but I want you to go now. She said, can you kiss me? I said, I can't. See, everything I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you so that you don't see me as that one very holy pastor who just comes to preach the word and just, they don't go through the things that we go through. Yeah. I remember I finished that experience and I was going home. I told some of the pastors what happened, and I told them, see, that lady, she must never enter my office again. 
And if she ever comes here to see me, I won't see her in my office. I will see her in the pool office. So all of you can be around and be looking at us. Because I, I cannot be sure that she won't grab my shirt one day. And you see, it's occupational hazard. Because as a pastor, you cannot look at your church member and say, don't ever talk to me again. Mm-hmm. I hope you understand. The first thing I did in that situation was to become accountable. I called four of the pastors. I was the most senior associate. I was a resident pastor. I called all the four pastors that report to me that they're the most senior pastors. And I told them, this was what happened. There was a conversation and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, she needs help. Some of you can also help. But I don't want you to go after her directly. <laughs> okay, leave that side. Leave that side. Leave that side. <laughs> you know, I don't want you to go after her directly, you know, and all that. But. I just want you to know because I need to be accountable to you. You know, I can, you know, go on and on, but what saved me in that situation? Because the problem was not that she desired me. The problem was that at the time I started to desire her. If I chose to go with the devil, I will have her as a friend for benefit. She has a child. She knows I'm married. She knows, as at that time, I already have my, uh, had my two daughters. I was like five years into marriage, or six. I'm like 13 years into marriage this year or so. Is it 13 or 12? I can't remember. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I'll, be, I, I'll be 13 years in marriage this year by December. At that time, I was like six years into marriage. Yeah. So, she's aware of everything, but yet she still wanted it. So, that is the perfect situation for adultery. Because we are all aware, and we just want to meet each other's need, and it will be to mutual benefit, and nobody, there will be no problem for anybody. The only thing was that I was conscious of my future and my destiny. And I was already thinking of the things, the repercussion of the decision, and the fact that I cannot be a great person except I choose to manage my desires. Yeah. So this issue of temptation has nothing to do with being single. How do I mean? Or it's not exclusive. It's not exclusive to singlehood. Yeah. Not at all. So after you, get, you have gotten married, the devil will start telling you, don't you think sleeping with one person for life will be very monotonous and boring? Then there's a part of your flesh that starts to crave variety. <laughs> I'm just sharing with you what married people go through. So that you don't deceive yourself that when I get married, my temptations will be over. Mm -hmm. Learn how to handle your sexual desires right now and how to put them in check right now. If not, you go for that meat that says, when I'm married, my sexual problems will be solved. (sighs) I need to round off. So choose to manage your desires. Stop feeding your weaknesses. Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 7 says, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by 
the roses and by the hinds of the field that ye tear not up, nor awake my love till ye peace. So don't stir up love except the time is here. Also understand your cycles. Sexual temptations work as if we're, you know, when they said animals are in it, you know the time where you are most vulnerable based on what you are thinking on your mind. There are certain thoughts, the moment they start to come to your mind, you know you are getting to your vulnerable period. You need to deal with the thought before you put away the things that can cause trouble for you around yourself. So understand your body and when you're supposed to be physically alert. Then manage what enters into your senses. Yeah. Manage. The question you should ask is, who is touching my erogenous zones? You don't need somebody to talk to you physically before they're touching your erogenous zones. Yeah. It's deception when you think that Somebody, you are attracted to somebody, but you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to think about it. The problem will solve itself. No. You have very strong attraction to someone, and you see the person very often. You need to sit down one day and come to terms with the fact that you're attracted to this person. And then put a structure in place around yourself not to feed the attraction. Because if you don't, you start flirting. If somebody comes around you and you can't talk, you're just smiling. Like Mumu. And before you know it, if the person is actually wishing to pray over your soul, they will recognize it. Especially if they are the type. And before you know it, you're in trouble. Yeah. If, you, if a player, a guy player or a lady player comes around you and you're always shaking anytime they come, they recognize this is meat. Yeah. Meet. And they will just man- manipulate you until there's a problem. So you need to recognize it before they do. So you can brace yourself. Jesus said, pray that you enter not into temptation. As a believer, the place of prayer in handling temptation cannot be overemphasized. God wants to hear you say, Lord, you know I'm attracted to this man. Help me. I want to be bold and courageous about managing this attraction. I don't want to get into any trouble. That's the kind of firm and very straight to the point prayer. Say it in understanding even if you speak in tongues. You can speak in tongues on top, top of it. But tell God in, you know, in your understanding how the issue is. And let him take it from there. The moment you pray about any you know, suffocating, pressure-driven situation... You, 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 you have opened up, up a valve that will reduce the pressure. And the next thing, like I said, that you should do is talk to somebody that you're accountable to. Talk to somebody that you're accountable to. Starting from a very, very sane friend to an authority figure. Yeah, a sane friend. If you get an insane friend to talk to, they will pump you very well. You will be worse off than before you came to meet them and accountable to them. Confess your fault one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's what the scripture says, James chapter 5 and verse 16 there. So 
lastly, uh, be conscious of your environment. Yeah, be conscious of your environment. Romans 13, 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its loss. Put that scripture up. I want everybody to actually take that one home. That's my last. Yeah. Romans 13 and verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its loss. The King James Version says, make no occasion for the flesh. How do I make occasion for the flesh? You are single. You are traveling. And then you... Because some people are checking your this thing and they, they will see condom. You know you are at the airport and then they open your bag and they're just checking. And you just see condom fall off. And you are single. And you say, it's just in case. That's why I have it. You have made an occasion for the flesh. That, situa- that thing, that action will bring the situation. It's like you are going out tomorrow morning now and you have your umbrella. And say, so why are you carrying the umbrella? Just in case it rains. It's either of two things. You are believing God for rain or not. The moment you carry your umbrella, you have made occasion or provision for rain. Am I saying the truth? The way some of us live our lives and the things that the structures we put around us are making provision for the fulfillment of the flesh. And loss. Yeah. When you surround yourself with certain kind of magazines, some kind of songs, you know, play me softly. You know, and uh, all those kind of, and you are, you are, list, you are making, you are, you are structuring. Yeah. You are structuring, you are structuring it out. Because songs are powerful. Images are powerful. Yeah. If you are struggling with any, you know, of those sexual vices right now, and it's because of how you are feeding your mind, if you go, if you just tell yourself, I don't want to see any form of nudity or anything for the next 20 to 30 days, it will shock you how starved that craving will become. Whatever you don't feed cannot grow. Stop deceiving yourself that it's a demon. Even if it's a demon, starve the demon. The demon will run away. You know what happens? The demon becomes very weak. You know, cannot have any power over you again. When the demon is left at that point for so long, one day he will just crawl out and go by itself. But the moment you still surround and structure around yourself, you know, so many, you know, questionable you know, privacy, being alone at night in a closed room with someone that you're emotionally involved with, keeping company with people who are sexually immoral. And you said you want to be light in darkness. Go and shine your light somewhere else. (laughs) Not the kind of darkness that can drown you. You and your torchlight, they won't even remember you exist. (laughs) You know, a a prodigy of mine, a few weeks ago, a prodigy of mine, um, someone I met, you know, a while ago, a protege, not a member of our church. I have proteges outside of our church. Lovely guy, young business guy, you know, and all that. And he said, Pastor, let's hang out, you know, and he gave me the address of this lounge. Let's meet there and all. His friend actually owns the lounge. I mean, I, the, my assignment was just to hang out with him, you know, discuss some of the issues he's going through, explain scriptures and all that. But we got to this lounge. 
I realized that this is not an atmosphere for explaining any scripture. <laughs> At all. The waiters were micro mini. In this Lagos and on this island, all the waiters that serve, you can imagine I ordered a, a Chapman and somebody came to serve me Chapman in mini skirt. I was like, if they take your picture here with this woman in front of you, I had to tell him, you know what? He said, and when he came and sat down, he said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I know you are not feeling comfortable. But, you know, I just want you to get used to, you know, what is going on in town. So you will know. He was very sincere. He just, in his own mind, he, he wanted me to see what the young men that I pastor in church, what they are going through. And some of them that hang out in this kind of place. And I'm telling you, he didn't invite me there maybe to tempt me or anything. No, he's a very, very sincere, straightforward guy. And we had, eventually had a very constructive discussion because he then moved me to one private corner, you understand, and told all those girls, he was going to bring the thing himself. And put in, he said, don't, don't, don't corrupt my pastor. <laughs> so, has it even crossed my mind to go there against his that day? No. Because I told myself, that, I mean, for instance, one of the good things he did that day was that he then brought his friend who owns that lounge. And I had a chat with him. The guy has visited our church once since then. So you got what I'm saying. So he didn't invite me there for evil intentions, no. But you know, if I didn't go there, I won't know and see. But don't ask me for the address because I'm not going to give you. Yeah. Don't even tell me you want to go and evangelize there. Don't worry. First of all, evangelize on the street first. <laughs> evangelize on the street first. But you see, there's so, such places... If, especially if you have the struggle, those are not the kind of places you should go by any chance. Or else you are going to be feeding the monster that is still a young adult looking for expression on the inside of you. I hope this has been a blessing to you. So we're going to take a few questions and then we'll pray and partake of the communion. If you can, I, I, I want to ask that you don't be in a hurry unnecessarily. This is a special night for us. And I'm trusting God that we'll wrap this all up in a few minutes and this will be a blessing to you. All right. Pastor Idris. Okay, a second mic. Thank you. Let's put our hands together, Pastor Godman. All right. Thank you if you've written a question. There's quite a number of them. If you've not written one, very quickly slip it across the aisles to the ushers. I'll just take them. Uh, how do you break <coughs> sexual soul ties? I don't even know what that is, but you know you're the pastor, <laughs> the lead pastor. Okay. How do you break sexual soul ties? See, these, some of these things have been overrated. Things like sexual soul ties. Do you know what someone said? He said, the way we have overrated sex in our world today, if an alien falls down from another planet and just interacts with us for a few minutes, he would think that sex and oxygen are the same. That's how high we have placed it. Now, so ties has been misconstrued to be a spiritual phenomenon. Meanwhile, it's an emotional phenomenon. 
simply an emotional phenomenon. Can I say that one more time? I said this concept of soul ties has been misconstrued to be a spiritual phenomenon. And it is not. It is an emotional phenomenon. Yeah. So, that's why it's called soul ties. Like, its souls are entangled because of what we have done to ourselves and we have been involved with. And it has been heightened to the point where it has created some psychological groove on my mind that tells me that without this person, I cannot survive in my life. I'm going to die without you, you know, and all those kind of things. That's why you see things like, I read the story of a lady who got, you know, um, treated by a doctor, very fine young man. And then she got emotionally attracted to this young doctor. Doctor happened to be married. And, you know, she had so much desire for this doctor. Eventually went after the doctor. They got involved and all that. And doctor said, look, you know, this cannot continue, all those kind of things. I'm married, you know. She became a psychiatric case. That was the aftermath of this inordinate affair. Is that a spiritual phenomenon? No. It's an emotional one. So when you ask the question, they will say she has so ties with the doctor. That's why she's losing her mind. Am I saying the truth? I said, am I saying the truth? Yeah, that's what you, you hear. So, the devil can manipulate emotional situations because some demons ride on emotions to perpetuate lies and deception. I described it while I was ministering earlier. Lies and deception. Keep telling you the same thing. You can't do without him. You can't do without her. If she leaves you, you're going to die. If he leaves you, you're going to die. You know, all those kind of things. And, you, you know, those little, little demons will be whispering it to you. And then you, not, not really physically, you get what I'm saying, suggestions in your mind. And then before you know it, it becomes so strong and it looks like there's been an entanglement of like, you know, fibers entangled and it's an emotional thing. What should happen in that kind of situation? The person should go for counseling and prayers. I cannot even tell you except if the case has become deeply demonic. There's even no need for deliverance. You just need somebody who is saner than you and understand a bit of the word of God to sit down with you, give you, tells you to sit down and say, write down 10 consequences of giving up from managing this situation well. And you write it yourself. If you are still sane enough to do it, you know, you write it. They create an opportunity for you to cut off physically from that person. Yeah? If you are working in the same office, you have to resign. Why? You say, ha. It's better to lose a job than to lose your mind. Yeah. In, um, what year was that? Uh, 19, somewhere around 1993, 94, I used to know a young lady 
Then I lived around Akoka. And I was at Rema Chabuya by then, back in the day. This young lady that I knew in church as a believer, I saw her lost her mind on a relationship case. I was still very young. I was seriously baffled. I'd never seen anything like that before. To the point that about 25 years ago, I still remember now very well, very vividly. I still remember her face and her name. She completely lost her mind and it was a relationship case. It's, it becomes more pathetic when your temperament is melancholic or phlegmatic. Yeah. Because you then keep to yourself a little more. You're not talking to anybody about it. And the devil keeps weaving the thing in your mind. You know, when you cross a few threads together, it's easy to push through. The moment you allow it to cross, cross each other, and like, it's like a web, and you're looking for a way out, and you can't get a way out because you have so many memories, so many things that the devil has laid hold on to, to track you down that it becomes a problem. So what am I saying? It's one of the easiest ways to deal with soul ties is to prevent it. Yeah, prevent it. Don't allow the devil to tell you any lies about anybody. You can fulfill your destiny in spite or despite anybody. Yeah. That's the first thing that must register in your mind. One of the ways I can prove it to you is that there have been people who have been married and somebody dies, a spouse, and they still moved on and they still had a blast in, their, in life. Like I've taught before severally, God leads us to the right people. But please don't give in to the concept that says that what the Bible says that about bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh is that there's one human being that has been created for another person. And if you miss that one, you have missed your destiny. It's nothing like that. It's the devil perpetuating that. There's nothing like that. God created all of us. You know, you know the, one of the ways by which you can also demystify that is that all the people that die in first year, infant mortality, you know, and all that, it means that all the people that are supposed to marry them from heaven, they will, they will like, permit me to speak here, but they will shimari. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? That means they, they, will, make a, they, will, they will be mismatched. That's what I mean. So there's nothing like that. Yeah. There's nothing like that. Let me just leave it. I, I'm sure even the one I've not said, the Holy Spirit has explained it to me. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a serious matter. Um, how do I deal with, person asking, how do I deal with shame triggers, a mindset of rejection, and a mentality of being unlovable? I think you were speaking about this earlier. It says, I've always had this struggle since I was young, but can't seem to completely heal from this. I, I think you need to submit yourself to a bit of counseling. You need to get books. Many books have been written on handling rejection. You need to get some of Joyce Mayer's materials. I recommend them very highly because she's a woman who has been able to handle rejection in her own life. She was extremely abused. Her case is one in one, in one million. Yeah. People like her perhaps walk the face of the heart once in a hundred years or something like that. I don't know because she's just very peculiar. In the sense that when you, when you hear this lady say that her father 
abused her sexually for like 18 years non-stop and almost every other day of her life. What should be left of such a young lady? Nothing. She should be a wreck, a mental case. She should have committed suicide. Today, she's a celebrity. She's a celebrity preacher, world-renowned, you know, inspirational speaker. She's kept family. She had her struggles. She lost her first marriage. Yeah. But she married a wonderful man. Now, who married of many years. All their kids are now adults. She's a grandmother right now. You need to read her books. There's no best person to explain how to handle rejection than someone like that. Because it's not theory. It's practical. Yeah, Because she's gone through it practically. She used the word of God to bring herself out of shame. The feeling of shame. The feeling of being molested. From the person that's supposed to care for you the most in your life, your father. And reduces you to trash. Because if she, if she came out of it, there's nothing you can come out of. Yeah. Right now. And you need to believe that. Another question. It says, who will hold me accountable? My friends do the same thing or worse. You have bad friends. If you want to fulfill destiny, you need to begin to sign off from some of them. You log off from the friendships. Yeah. So join LifePoint WhatsApp group. Yeah. Be more consistent in this church and make new friends here. This is your resident pastor. You can hold your accountable with many other leaders and ministers out there. Some of them are here. Some of them, I mean, a few of them are married. They already have a, a bit of experience. That's why they're here to minister to you. Change your company. Do it gradually. Start to replace those friends by making new ones. See, if you want to see the direction that your life is going, it's just the direction that, the, of, that your friends are going. It's simple. You cannot tame anything that in your company, there's no agenda for taming it. In life, we grow in community, not individually. That's why we're creating all this kind of community. We don't grow alone. We grow in company. If you have a company that, does not, that cannot engender growth, that does not have a growth agenda embedded into the, the, you know, the backbone of that company, leave that company and join, you know, create a different company. That's what I'll say to you. Yeah. Thank you, sir. If after you've given your life to Christ, you then, so you essentially you've, you've failed sexually, mm. um, you've asked for forgiveness and decided to stay away from it until marriage, are there any implications? There are no serious implications except you continue. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Paul said, God forbid. That's the writer of um, like two-thirds of the New Testament. He said, God forbid. We cannot continue in sin and say grace should abound. What you need to do is to allow God to work in your life, to allow grace to take effect in your life. The first thing grace does is to show you that you are not condemned. And that God will not always hold your sins against you. Yeah. That your, you see, our righteousness is not by act or action. It's a gift. But it's a gift with a lift. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a gift with a lift. Jesus says, 
I take responsibility for all your sins. And through the grace that I'm giving you, take the gift of righteousness. But the moment you take this gift of righteousness, it has growth embedded in it. So you receive capacity to grow out of the things that are holding you back. What people try to do is to say, Jesus, keep your gift of righteousness. I will be struggling on my own. You know, I, I, I want you to rate me based on my action. Jesus said, I don't want to rate you based on your action. I want an exchange. Give me your sins. Let me give you my righteousness. And then see my righteousness start to do something in your life. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Because it's a gift with a lift. So don't see yourself. Don't judge yourself. Because God is not judging you. So there's no, all this very heart-shattering repercussion because I failed after I gave my life. No. This is it. You have given your life to Christ. You failed. Master your desires and your emotion as you go along so that you don't continue to fail. That's, that's what God is looking for. If we confess our sins, the Bible says it's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every unrighteousness. Yeah. The sin of yesterday, the Bible says he has thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. He does not remember again. But will you come again and again and again? You'll frustrate grace. Yeah. You need to gradually allow God to help you to become strong. That's what I'm saying. Thank you. Just, I think it's a lead on from this question. It says, what do you do when you've already entered trouble and essentially um, uh, and are still with the person in question? Essentially, uh, so you're falling into sexual sin and I suspect you are in a relationship with this person. So there's already a um, okay, I get ongoing you. issue. As a single person or as a married person, Oh, sorry, whether as a single in a relationship, and that's happening in your relationship, or you have an issue, you are not in a relationship, or it's outside of your relationship, you can manage it. If you are in a relationship and you find yourself in trouble, what you need to tell yourself is, from this point, let's draw the line, is this a Christian relationship or not? Like I told you last, one, last Thursday that I was here. Answer that question. Don't sweep it under the carpet. That question is deliverance. If you choose to, you know, be serious about your answer. So, when a relationship was sleeping together, it's nothing that peers have not had before. But is this a Christian relationship or just a secular unbeliever's relationship? Yes, it's a Christian relationship. We stop from now and we make ourselves accountable. With that accountability, you're not going to stop. I love it when people are sincere. I'm the kind of pastor you can walk up to and say, when the relationship are sleeping together, help us. This is how we're going to do it. I'll tell you. Estray your life for me. How do you live? When does it happen? How do, you know, all those kind of things. Is it that you go to this person's house? So we can see, it's some simple common sense stuff backed up with prayer. You know what? It takes some bit of spiritual strength to be a person of discretion. I was teaching yesterday at Switch. Discretion 
is a matter of common sense. But when the devil starts to deal with you, you can't even handle discretion, let alone discernment. Discernment is deeper, it's spiritual. You will handle life better when even in the issues of discretion, you have strength. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Some people are so bothered about, eh, eh, I want God to lead me. Eh, eh. In, in issues of common sense, you're not pulling your weight. You now want to be able to discern spiritual things. What will happen tomorrow? When What is happening today? You are not in charge. I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. It's very funny. You want God to reveal big things to you. You want to be able to discern spirits and all that. What is happening today, right now? What are you doing about it? Are you in control? It's an issue of discretion. Just discretion. Making you know, the right judgment and doing things right. So it's discretion when I can say, look, I remember when I was cutting my wife. Sometimes I'll tell her, please, I, I used to live with my brother, my brother's family, yeah, and I chose not to get a flat of my own at that time because I couldn't handle it. I'm telling you the truth. I could not, I was a very young pastor. I could not afford to live in a flat of my own. I would be misbehaving very well. You have to know yourself. I moved out of my brother's house partially like two or three weeks to my wedding. I said partially because I wasn't sleeping there. Because the emotions became more heightened like two, three weeks to the wedding. If I started to sleep there and she was bringing her things to move in small, small, that's how small, 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 it will be small, big, big, big. You understand? So, I'll go there to put my, some of my things and arrange the place during the day and then go back. Yeah. We go back. See, I'm not, rec- I'm not saying this is the only way to go. I'm just talking about myself because I knew myself. I'm telling you how I did not sleep with my wife before we got married. Not because I knew Bible or I was filled with the Holy Ghost. No. I put structures in place. It's an issue of discretion. We go back from our honeymoon. We both moved in together. So what we were doing on anymore, we continued there. Simple. Common sense. I, I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. Yeah. But Peter, you say- I knew. See, I was say, I'm saying this for myself. And please don't leave this place and say, Pastor Goma has recommended that you should not move into your flat until you get married. No, no. <laughs> know yourself. I am talking about myself. Are you saying, oh, Pastor, so you are that uh, uh, weak? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm just, I just, yeah. Over time, I've grown. I've been married now 13 years. I'm not the same person again. But then, as a single person, I couldn't live alone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I moved in. I actually moved into my first flat on the night before I got married. So I'm not alone. <laughs> but I'm, I'm stronger. <laughs> it's a lie. That's a big lie. God help me. But are you saying, PG, in these economic times, economies of scale, you know, some paid two separate rents in Lekki, can we be saving like 1.2 million a year each? And I'm saying this because there are logical arguments that people um, have to face. And say, we're almost getting married in two years. We can save next year's rent and stay together. Well, <laughs> this is what I would say. If we want to save money at all, let each and every, each of us share our flat separately with other people. 
Do you get what I'm saying? So I'm the guy, I have to move into my flat now. I'll get a flatmate. You two, get your own flatmate. When we get married, eh, one of us will sack a flatmate and we'll move together. It's better than moving into... You, I only recommend it to you if the person you want to marry, you are not attracted to the person at all. <laughs> you can move into them. In which case, they shouldn't really be getting married. Yes. <laughs> because it simply means you are marrying your sister. Yes. Your blood sister. Because that's probably the perfect example of the person that maybe you have no chemistry for. Yeah, that's the truth. But can't we spend nights? I'm How? sorry I'm stretching it. Explain. <laughs> nights. Spend. We. <laughs> um, like what do you call sleepover? Uh, but weekend now. Weekend. holidays. You know, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. What I'm just saying is that does it look like on public holiday? The Bible is also on public holiday, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm asking for them. I'm not asking for myself. <laughs> I reckon with that. Okay. I reckon with that. <laughs> but you know the truth. Jokes apart. A good structure will help you to function without struggles. A good structure. You need to know yourself. You need to know what you can handle. Don't deceive yourself. The strongest of men have been known not to be able to tame desires well. That's the strongest of men. Yeah. Read Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 7. You see what I'm talking about there. Yeah. The Bible was talking about the harlot in Proverbs 5 or 7, and he said, many strong men have been cut down by her. So not weak men, but strong men. So when it comes to managing our sexual desires, we can be strong in many other areas. We cannot just oppose that in this case. It's a different ballgame. It requires a bit of structure. It requires accountability. Revealing my feeling is the beginning of healing. Can I say that one more time? Revealing my feeling is the beginning of healing. Confess your fault one to another that you may be healed. When I reveal my feelings, I'm on, on the path of you know, emotional recovery. Many of us are failing because we keep too many things to ourselves. Yeah. Get a structure for accountability around your life. You will win more than you are failing. Very important. Don't make occasion for the flesh. Romans 13, 14 is very important. When you, like I was saying, when I was cutting my wife, there's times where I would tell her, though I was living with my brother, I would say, don't visit. I'm on eat. I'm eat. eat. Sorry, what did you say? I'm Don't You can't afford to visit me now. Because you can't visit me and then be complaining I'm hugging you too much or I'm, I'm trying to kiss you. Why did you come? <laughs> because I already told you the kind of situation I'm in. Let me deal with it. If I need to confess the word, let me confess the word. You know, take a long walk and recalibrate my brain. Maybe I'm watching too many, you know, movies with, you know, uh, um, bad scenes and, you know, it's doing something to me. And, or maybe I've not been doing my quiet time regularly and I've become a bit vulnerable. You just find that you are, you are, you are surprising yourself. 
about the kind of things you are thinking and do, thinking of doing. You understand? Yeah. You, you go to visit your girlfriend at home, and she's, what she's wearing is see-through, and you sit there, sipping Coke and looking. <laughs> Instead of telling her, you're setting me up, so go and dress up properly. Yeah. You know, we're helping ourselves. Yeah, but you just sit there, cross your leg, and you're, you know that you can't concentrate. You know you, you know. Until it then gets out of hand. You're not being practical about your life. It's an issue of discretion. That's what I'm saying, an issue of discretion. Yeah. You need to be truthful to yourself. And if somebody wants to marry you and cannot take truths from you, cannot recognize that you know who you are, you shouldn't marry the person. I'm telling you the truth. You shouldn't. And they don't take such issues seriously. Don't bother. Open communication in French, in courtship relationship we had a very good marriage. Many marriages are breaking down because there's no open communication. If we can't talk about sex and all the surrounding issues in our relationship, when we get married, there will be two sexually frustrated people who cannot talk about how they can improve on their sex life. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. You can't be more spiritual than your pastor. Than your pastor. And I, need to, <laughs> I need to listen. Open communication in friendship will lead to open communication in a relationship, in a courtship relationship. The moment you have no-go areas and dark areas, we can't talk about finance, we can't talk about sex, we can't talk about this, we can't talk about that, you're creating a problem. Even when you are just friends for the relationship, you carry it to the relationship and you still have gray areas, dark shades around your relationship. You bring it and you, you know what people do? They overlook all that and get into the mode of wedding planning. The moment wedding planning sets in and you have too many dark patches in your marriage, you're already in trouble. In your relationship, you're already in trouble. Because wedding planning makes you pan off all those things and focus only on wedding. And when you get into marriage, you realize that there are too many dark areas that we have not been able to talk about or address well. One of the greatest strengths of my marriage, as I speak to you, my marriage is not perfect, but it's strong. It's a very strong marriage, but it's not perfect. And what makes it strong is that we can talk about anything. 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 Anything at all. Bring it on. We talk about it. If we're talking and maybe it's getting into any kind of argument, we can agree. We're not doing well on it now. Let's come back tomorrow night and we'll sit down very well and talk and we'll resolve our issues. Yeah. Any marriage, any kind of relationship where there are things you cannot talk about, on the long run, it will break down. You and I know, if you have had some experience in your career, that some people you've worked for you know there's no future there because there are certain things you must not talk about. If you work with a boss, there are certain things, you know, it's just yes, sir, yes, sir. No question. Not, you know that you can't last here if you really want to have an enjoyable career. Am I saying the truth? It's the same thing in relationships and eventually in marriage. Uh, we'll, we'll round up with this two questions. One asks about if sexual drive, and just 
the propensity to uh, be, to misbehave sexually could be hereditary. So it's just the family I'm born in. I mean, you mentioned something uh, when you were answering that question about how you are doing spiritually, your walk with God. And I'm wondering, is there any correlation like I can draw between how my walk with God, my spiritual life, and my ability to withstand temptation? It's very simple. The first scripture that comes to mind is that of the temptation of Jesus. The Bible says he was led to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. But look at what characterized that structure. And so he did not eat 40 days and he was secluded. But that opportunity of being secluded and fasted for 40 days brought him some level of spiritual strength and interaction with scriptures such that when the devil came, Jesus was answering him with scriptures. Turn this stone to bread. It is written, Mash and Only by Bread Alone. I think that's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, or something like that. He quoted it straight to Jesus, I mean to the devil. It means that, that those 40 days, it was not only fasting and praying. I presume those scriptures did not just come from anywhere. He must have been storing them up. How come when the devil mentioned bread and somebody has not eaten for 40 days, he didn't embrace it, but it was a scripture that he regurgitated. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It means that he has been storing up something and chewing it inside. And those were the things that are coming out. Every temptation out of the three that the devil brought, Jesus answered with a scripture. It is written. Everything is quoted there were things that have been written in the Old Testament. The New Testament started with him, but everything he quoted were things in the Old Testament. How did he get them? Did he, did he just appeared to him because he's the son of God. No, he read them. The strength, your spiritual strength, your growth spiritually has a direct correlation with your ability to manage temptations. Yeah. Direct correlation. The Bible says, the spirit of a man we one translation says we, we, we sustain him in his infirmity. But a broken spirit, who can bear? One translation says, it's the spirit of a man will help him in trouble when he's in trouble. Another scripture says, if you fail in the day of adversity, it means that your strength is small. That means if your strength is bigger, you'll be able to withstand adversity. That same scripture says, it says, one other translation, I think Living Bible Translation, if you fail to perform under pressure, you are a poor specimen. said, if you fail to perform under pressure, you are a poor specimen. That means there's a kind of specimen that is needful for you to withstand temptation. And it has something to do with how well you are developing spiritually. The things that are tripping you off right now must not trip you off in six months' time or in one year if you are growing. Yeah. Yeah, if you are growing. That's how you measure spiritual growth. Not how big your Bible is or how regular you attend service. Yeah, It's good to attend service regularly. Jesus, I mean, the scripture says we should not forsake the gathering together of one another.
It's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. The end is spiritual development. If you're attending any church and you are not growing there, stop going. Yeah, stop going. Go to the place where you can grow. It's they that are planted in the house of our God that will flourish in the courtyard of our God. And there's a place of your planting, a place that God has ordained for you to be, for you to derive the nourishment with which you can grow and have strength. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, spiritual growth is extremely important if your life will make sense. Yeah, especially in the area of handling temptations. That's why you see people who are doing extremely well financially, career-wise, but some other side where they need spiritual strength to show themselves up, they are misbehaving, just wasting life and doing things anyhow. Yeah. Because your skill can bring you money, but your spirit will protect you and strengthen you when you are faced with adversity. Yeah. Um, as we approach the table, Pastor Goldman will lead us on the table. I just, the scripture has been in my mind all evening. First Corinthians 6, I think, maybe 20. It says, do you not know that your body doesn't belong to you? You've been bought with a price. And it speaks about the fact that our bodies, all of us, every single one of us, that our bodies are God's temple. And, you know, this discussion will continue in different forms. But I want us to always have that realization at the back of our mind, especially as we approach the table this evening, that this body that we carry is also the body that carries God's presence. It's God's temple. And there are certain standards to which he holds us and empowers us um, to uphold. And as we approach the table today, I just want someone to please trust God for strength. As I, you know, I'm a PG leaders, just trust God for strength that the temple of God, your body, you know, that you will do with it what God wants, uh, what God wants you to do with it. Okay? Amen? Amen. Can we stand on our feet, everyone? Can I ask that as you stand, just, just, just if you can, close your eyes, just, just for the sake, not the religion, but for the sake of concentration. And I want you to just look inwards and just, just communicate with God and just speak to God. Lord, I want to portray my body in a way that, is, that will bring glory to you. I realize that my life is not my home. I realize that you pay the price for my redemption. Would you just, in your heart, the Bible says every sin that a man commits, it has nothing to do with their body, but when it comes to sexual sin, it involves the body, and that body has been paid for, and it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you need to portray it as such. Will somebody ask God tonight, or talk to God tonight, and say, I desire to be in better control of my, my desires and cravings. I want to be in better control. And as I partake of the communion tonight, I want to receive strength. As I partake of the blood of Jesus and his body that was broken for us, I want to receive strength. Jesus said we should do this in remembrance of him. And what do we remember about him? We remember his saving grace. We remember is redemption. He has redeemed us from sin and every unrighteousness. And all he asks is that we receive it. Receive that gift. And if you are here, you have received the gift. If not, just, just ask him to forgive you your sins tonight and 
immediately as you ask him to forgive you your sins and that you receive him as your Lord and personal Savior, you have received the gift of righteousness. You're born again. And something new will start in your life tonight. Just for the sake of anyone here who may not be born again, I will ask that all of us take the prayer together and then we'll partake of the communion. I want everyone to say after me, say, Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive me my sins and that you cleanse me from every unrighteousness. I receive you tonight as my Lord and my personal Savior. I ask that you fill my heart with your spirit and give me a new beginning from this moment forward, I declare that sin shall no longer have dominion over me in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We receive your blessings over these sacraments. We declare that this is now your body that was broken for us, that our own bodies may no longer be broken. And your blood shed for our redemption that we may gain your grace and the power to live above sin. We receive for everyone under the influence of this service tonight strength and the courage to live our lives for you. To tame by your grace the desires of the flesh. And to live a life that is surrendered and submitted to you. From this night, we decree that the power of revelation comes upon someone. Give everyone an encounter with revelation in your word. That in our own private, quiet moment, you will speak to us. That as we study your word, you will open our eyes to see something. That will turn our lives around. As we partake of this table tonight, Lord, take it beyond the word of the pastor. Give each and everyone a personal revelation of your grace. We thank you. We also receive tonight, as we partake of this communion table, your healing power. If there's anyone here tonight who has been tormented emotionally, if there's anyone under the influence of my voice tonight who may be suffering from any kind of depression. I receive your supernatural power to come upon them. Let the hold of discouragement, depression be broken tonight in the name of Jesus. Bless anyone here who has been manipulated emotionally. I break the hold of manipulation over your mind. I decree from this night, you are made free. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I speak against pain in the body. Pain from any organ in the body. I decree your healing tonight in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask for everyone that will partake of this table tonight, let your joy fill our hearts afresh. Help us to see ourselves in a different way. We thank you. We bless you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Wave your hands to Jesus tonight all over this place and celebrate him and bless him. We thank you, Jesus. We take some worship songs. 
and you can just take your seat as the leaders will serve us the communion. So you partake of the communion, say one or two words of prayer to God, and then we'll bring the service to a close.
Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for the privilege of gathering this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We are grateful. We thank you for the communion that we have partaken of. We thank you for fresh strength and wisdom and revelation. We give you thanks, our Father, in Jesus' mighty name. God's people shouted a big amen. <laughs>